0: Things Musicians Don't Talk About is supported by the Royal Society of Musicians. Since 1738, they have been providing vital financial assistance, advice and guidance to music professionals unable to work due to accident, illness, stress or anxiety. Whether you're working as a performer, administrator, technician or teacher and everything in between, they're there to help. If you know of someone in need, you can contact them in confidence. By visiting their website which is www.rsmgb.org or you can contact them by ringing 020 7629 6137. Support their work by becoming a member or
1: donating today. Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of the musicians is lost and restricted. Having both dealt in silence
0: with mental, physical, and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further, and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. The personal
1: issues we may face with our mental health, performance injury, work pressure and finances can be overlooked as the airbrushed persona of musicians is sadly maintained.
0: So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about.
1: everybody welcome back to our voices radio segment segment an hour-long segment yeah hour long segment and also if you're listening on the main channel welcome welcome hello again it's lovely to be back i hope you've all listened to last month's with rebecca and Stuart and rebecca on her own yes it was very good it was really good actually thanks mate the highlight ironically for me was when you answered my question (laughs)
0: which was oh about missing my eating disorder
1: it was very interesting
0: yes I think I do a better job about answering people's questions in writing on Instagram rather than in talking but no
1: I don't think I don't agree at all oh thanks people. I think you gave some stellar advice stellar in a very like non-preachy way which is hard to do yeah as one who likes to preach you are Christian after all it is true right. let's <laughs> <laughs> end it there the end <laughs> Christianity is always a bit of a cockball (laughs) with a podcast. Um, So today we were thinking of doing a sort of wider musical world chat. I'm making it sound really boring, actually. Yeah, we should just jump into it rather than trying to introduce it. Okay, so basically, before since we did our last chat... Yes. And stuff. I mean, the last few months we've kind of been interested in the world of Louis Capaldi slightly. Yes. Since the documentary came along um, on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. And obviously he is someone who we love because he is just so unfiltered online. So honest
0: and hilarious. And hilarious. So fits both of our briefs. It's the truth. He takes
1: inspiration from us, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but I feel like. One thing that kind of stared me in the face last weekend was Glastonbury Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, his awful experience on the stage, but how it kind of turned into something really emotional. Mm. And it kind of just made me think, like, obviously, there's all the conversations about, like, having a mental sort of issue on stage, but also, like, how our fear as classical musicians comes from like not being allowed to experience beauty in that ever mm. like his experience of a negative stage performance turned into something really kind of touching mm. but i just don't see how that could ever happen in, in classical. classical music
0: yeah i don't know yeah because i was thinking about it on the way here obviously which took hours from north to south <laughs> London. Um, don't as i will continue to complain about (laughs) yeah if somebody i don't know whether it's to do with the types of audiences Mm. or the types of institutions that classical musicians work for and that i don't know i i guess the equivalent would be if a soloist had to like stop mid-performance or something and said that i'm really struggling Mm like first off because of concert etiquette everyone would be deadly silent
1: um <laughs> nobody would like so you, you used uh, used to get told off for stopping in a music lesson if i ever yeah. stopped
0: keep going keep going yeah it'd be like you
1: can't ever do it was like such a kind of like you, you can't never stop. do that like never ever stop like yeah and that is terrifying because if you feel like you just can't continue like what do you do
0: yeah if you're a soloist you might often have like an orchestra accompanying you so it feels like You've got a hundred people behind you, and however many hundreds of people in front of you as well. So I don't know. I just can't. I've never heard of it happening.
1: It's only ever happened when someone's broken their string.
0: Yeah, and everyone fucking loves it. They're like, wow, what a hero. Yeah. Like borrowing somebody else's violin and keeping going. Or there's that video of that oboist that like swapped oboes with somebody like mid solo in the orchestra. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's actually pretty cool. Cute. But, like, yeah, all the comments are
1: like, wow, what a hero. Yeah. Like, kept going. Amazing. Do you want to give people an overview of what actually happened on stage? Because mm, well, I haven't actually said. I'm not sure most people kind of know. Yeah. Well, so, um,
0: Lewis Capaldi was performing on the main stage, I think, mm-hmm. and started to, I think, like, lose his voice. And also his Tourette's was flaring having up. like a tick attack. Something. Yeah. Um, so I think the audience sang his songs in place of him. And it became this very like magical, um, communally like supportive experience, I think. Mm. Yeah. I think it was very much like reported as a very positive thing. Prompted a lot of discussion about music and Tourette's and... Yeah. And actually, I read an amazing Guardian article. I've got a few quotes here. One of the quotes said, non-disabled people are taught from an early age that disabled people are either tragic or inspirational if they're not overcoming what holds them back. They're miserably Mm. failing. Mm. And I think this is a really interesting thing of, you know, in those terms I guess Lewis like failed in quotation marks because he didn't keep going yet it was seen as quite a big triumph because it not only advocated for um his openness around Tourette's and anxiety and everything but it kind of brought people even more together and I think in the light of the recent documentary it felt even more eye-opening that I don't know, there was the continuity of the documentary into real life.
1: Mm. Which, I don't know, I, I
0: also saw like quite a lot of comments on, uh, I think it was a Daily Mail article, um, of people being like... My oh, favourite if... journalism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of people being like, he's pretending for the like attention, and this people kind of thing. People always say that about Tourette's, but it's so hard to fake
1: a tick. It's, I mean... How would you do that? How would you keep it up? Like, But also, why would you like what are you going to gain from that what's he going to gain yeah
0: he's having to take so much time off to focus on his health why is that gainful i thought
1: that was interesting it's so interesting and the other thing i guess the side maybe that wasn't reported on as much is also why did he feel he had to perform Mm. because i think he was saying like he'd been struggling for a while what was it about the pressure of glastonbury Mm. and like all of that and the you know letting people down and everything but also how do you know when you're ready sometimes yeah. you
0: can't know until you do it and this was another quote it's um
1: <laughs> she's here with the quote i was really like love this band. article
0: it's it, they said yet yeah, it's important to guard against the idea that disabled people in the public eye should be permitted to be visible when only at their best mm. and i totally agree to an extent that you know as long as you're not harming yourself then it's great to be a little bit messy in the public eye um you know as we are we're very honest and very not perfect yeah uh, uh, first of all at what point do you know that you're ready to perform again but also why does it matter if it's not completely if you are okay with being that vulnerable on stage then is there anything wrong with doing a less than perfect
1: performance and being very real no no it's just we wouldn't have the beauty, I guess, of someone singing along. Haydn <laughs> trumpet concerto. <laughs> you stop like, and they're like... Da, da, da. <laughs> Third movement's coming. Everyone knows how this goes. <laughs> da, 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 da. But can you imagine if Louis Capaldi was in classical music? Like, he wouldn't be allowed to perform. No. they'd He'd be dropped. He'd be dropped. And that's kind of what I'm thinking is like... Are we are we you know, are we missing out on performers like him? Mm. Well also where you know, a lot of the
0: pressure in commercial music comes from the manager or whatever as mm. well. So it's interesting to me, well I, I guess also for artist managers in classical music, but like, where is the majority of the pressure coming from in that kind of a situation? Like, if you know, if for example Lewis Capaldi's fans are so supportive Is the pressure to perform coming from his agent? Is it coming from his own feelings of, like, fear of failure? Or, like, letting
1: people down. Yeah. Because there was another kind of 360 or 180, whatever, different example. um, Yeah, 360 would just be the same. Would be the same example. Yeah, (laughs) I realised that. Uh, The editor of International Piano... Tim Parry, who is... He works with me in my office, and I love him a lot. He's great. He went to see a performance by the pianist Maurizio Pollini. Have you heard of him? No. He's about 82 now, Oof. and he's a pianist, and he's, like, very famous, even mm. though you haven't heard of him. And Thank he you. basically did a performance at the festival hall, I think, and Tim went, and he said it was just the saddest thing because he couldn't get through... He like his music was far too hard for him he was trying to play all this stuff that he'd been playing in mm. his like heyday and he would like get like struggle to the end of a movement go off stage get the music bring it back but then he wouldn't have a page turner so he'd have to keep stopping oh, and God. like and i mean it just made me think about like the, is that the equivalent artist manager thing yeah. as well though of like it's also a duty of care yeah but for someone like him has has everyone kind of like neglect is everyone neglecting him like it's a question mm. of you know Tim was saying he's clearly got a health some kind of health problem that means he's you know he was struggling to know where he was in the music and yeah. things like that you'd you'd think that the part of the care of a manager would be to say like you know you really should take your program right down or
0: mm.
1: you know take Tays a lot of breaks off. or yeah exactly but where is that pressure of like this huge festival hall concert which was completely sold out yeah And, I mean, at the end, like, everyone did give a standing ovation. But in a weird way... Yeah, it feels almost pitiful. Yeah,
0: it's like... I wonder whether part of it is to do with the fact that, as a classical musician, you're not performing your own music, so it's not coming right from, like, your soul. Whereas, like, you know, it means even more for, I presume, Lewis Capaldi that, like, people are singing his songs if people are singing your songs at you it feels like a, a gesture of support and like we hear you we love your work you know we'll carry, We're here no matter what yeah sort of we'll thing. carry this with you whereas when it's maybe somebody who's performing pieces by somebody else it's like ah, oh, you couldn't do the music justice mm. so like or how you
1: used to do it yeah Ooh. horrible not nice this is why i, I i'm really kind of struggling like the more i kind of play again the more I'm like, I just get kind of flashes into imagining myself in a massive stadium or auditorium or whatever, playing solo, and I just, like, want to die. Yeah. And I'm just really interested in the psychology of that.
0: Somebody said on one of the comments that, like, it was basically like, why is he doing it if he's not enjoying it anymore? Yeah, I I saw ones like that. And it's like, nobody said that he wasn't enjoying it. Like, yes, there are there are things that are preventing him from like being able to get through the performance but like what is his reason for keep keeping coming back to it you know it doesn't I mean obviously we don't know him personally but like it doesn't seem like it's the money it seems like because he loves making music and that's the impression I got from the documentary
1: again I don't know him personally but I heard him say that it's like the live perform like all the kind of residual stuff like recording and photo shoots and interviews and stuff like that's the stuff he doesn't really enjoy like yeah the thing that sets him on fire is the like the live vibe from an audience yeah and i guess this is part of the kind of paradox of being a musician is like people really find some incredible sense of purpose through doing that even if it can also yeah be like the end of you sometimes Mm. or bring you to the edge of like panic experience and it's really hard to i think in people's minds it can be really hard to like find any kind of equilibrium with that
0: and it's also interesting that a lot of those um parts of being a performer that he doesn't like like the recording and the photo shoots are things that you can kind of battle through with Tourette's or Mm. or anxiety or something because you can edit it you can yeah no one's gonna see it take breaks whatever but the stuff that he really likes doing and and is the kind of place where people notice when he's not doing so well is the thing that he really loves that must be really heartbreaking
1: Mm. but it also makes you think like how many classical musicians have found themselves in that place And I've had to give up. Mm -hmm.
0: And the number of people that we've spoken to that are like, you know, and you've said as well that you don't, you you didn't used to enjoy the performing, you enjoyed the relief of it.
1: Mm -hmm. I hate that fact. But a lot of people replied to that Instagram and like even really great performers, like that resonated. Yeah. And I just didn't really know what to think about that. It was like, I felt sort of relieved, but at the same time kind of sad. Yeah. That there can be not a lot of enjoyment if we're really honest with ourselves mm. about solo performing like that doesn't bring much enjoyment for people mm. it brings a lot of like terror yeah <laughs> and i was just a bit like oh my god like i even if you're as good as some of these people that were replying to me yeah you still have that experience like for some reason that made me kind of sad it was just like oh my and god and that's that's the point where you're most vulnerable and where your
0: any kind of cracks in you know your mental health or whatever are going to show. Yeah, it's no wonder people fear it so much because it's like I've got to be completely like mm-hmm. watertight. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes you don't know if you are until you're on stage. Just fucking terrifying.
1: Awful. Woo-hoo. We were also going to talk
0: about saying no. Um, why? Tell me why this came up recently with
1: us. Was it you or me that brought it up? it was you. Oh, I was like, I think I texted you, didn't I? Being like, I think we should do an episode on saying no. I think it's a lot of, like, ego stuff intertwined, but it basically came up because I was realising that I think that my no is going to be a massive emotional burden on someone. And whether that's a no of, like, a work thing or whether that's a no of a personal life thing or or just like setting a boundary. I mm. always feel like saying no equals hatred of Patty. Yeah. Of you as a person. Of me as a person. Yeah, exactly. But then I was so then I had this kind of complete sort of pulling apart of myself where it was like but I can't go on if I don't start saying no to people mm. because I'm doing too much. Yeah. And it like I'm not enjoying myself. I'm not I'm it's not sustainable. So I was like there's going to have to be a risk here of like risking people hating me that's what it felt like
0: in my mind yeah. you have to risk a lot of well at least i feel like i'm at risk of coming across selfish yeah whereas i don't know i mean it depends what you define as selfish but sometimes the only way to actually keep going is to just look after the self
1: yeah and i think like I'm also really trying to think about when people have said no to me, like how it's made me feel. And it's often been a case of like, I've tried to learn to trust that they've said no for a reason and it's not just a kind of malicious thing. Yeah. You know, most people struggle to say no.
0: So if they have said no, it's not because they feel like it.
1: No, most of the time. No, sometimes it comes out of laziness. I'm talking about myself. Yes. But
0: then often the laziness is through like just being exhausted because of burnout or something anyway. Yeah. It's very rare to find somebody that's not at all affected by living in a capitalist society and feeling like you have to say yes to everything.
1: Yeah. I had a really good chat recently, actually, with the editor of the BBC Music magazine, Whoa. Charlotte Smith.
0: Ting, 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 clang,
1: clang, clang. No, but she is genuinely a legend. Nice. And she was saying... And I really liked this. She was saying, if people get me on the phone, I can't say no. But if they email me, then I'll have had time to like... Yeah. And she like, it came out of such a place of self-knowledge. Like, she's been editing magazines for like 20 years. Yeah. And still, she just knows about herself. If I'm in a room with a publicist or something, like, I will really struggle to say no. Yeah. And that really resonated with me. I was like, oh my God, I also can't say no in person. Like. For I'm the same
0: reason. and and as much as I get overwhelmed by how many like unread messages and stuff I have on my phone I do leave replying to them a lot a lot of the time until I'm in a place where I can actually put thought into my response totally which often takes weeks and months
1: mm-hmm. what what about saying no to like work though because <sighs> I feel like that's not something I deal with
0: I haven't said no to any work in so long, partly because I've been completely free and extremely poor. Um, So I've just been taking everything and anything I can get. But I have... uh, I remember there was a festival, like an opera festival I said no to. Oh, last year? Yeah. or, Or it would have been this coming summer. Oh. Because it was just so underpaid. And I knew that I'd be really just... Tired and exhausted, and I would rather have no money from it and not go.
1: Yeah. Also, ethically.
0: Ethically, I do, yeah I didn't want to perpetuate that kind of work. Was it a country
1: house thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's such a good idea because yeah, there's so and much money flowing around those places. Exactly. Anyway.
0: And and they were asking me to fix the brass section, and like I did ask a few people, and then the more people i asked the more i was like i really don't feel comfortable asking people
1: to yeah you don't want to be the one to bear the bad news
0: yeah and also i can't i in my head i was like why am i saying yes to this work and you know trying to get other people involved when i do such public like i have these conversations on like the podcast being like you know pay people better and, and this kind of stuff it really
1: like, does hold you accountable, this bloody podcast, doesn't it? fucking podcast. <laughs>
0: I, mean, I can't do anything self-destructive anymore. Well, I can, just I can't get anyone else involved. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. So funny. But yeah, saying no to work is hard. Because you feel like it's a butterfly effect of, well, if I say no to this, then they won't ask me. And then, well, what if I meet somebody on that gig? Or like, what well, if I you know, do this one gig and at least more work with that orchestra
1: or... It's... But what's the probability of all those things? No, com- like, like completely. It's so funny. Such a small percentage chance. Because it, as you said in like the cameos that make you sick, like it's gambling, it's luck. Yeah. So much of it. And yet then we... Our inability to say no comes out of this belief of like... This time might be It has one. so much power. This little piece of work has so much power.
0: Yeah. And actually seeing like my friends and colleagues and peers that are doing amazing 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 work with like really top tier orchestras and ensembles and organizations and they still feel like they have to take shakes but how are you feeling like saying no to stuff when you're in full-time employment and like within a bigger organization does that feel different than like saying no as a freelancer
1: yes i think i i think that my no has a bigger impact than it actually does mm-hmm. but often my no to be completely cutthroat often I have to say no to things because they've come to me last minute too last mm. minute and people haven't actually done their own preparation I see so As, it's through other people's incompetence but it's it sometimes really annoys me because it will be a really amazing thing that yeah. I want to do something for but it'll be too last minute and the stress of trying to get something together yeah. and I've done a lot of that where it's been a, a gig or a gig an opera project that i've really loved yeah but it's been two last minute and obviously they don't have a massive budget and and then i feel guilty but also really want to cover it yeah and if you said yeah. if you try to fit every one of those ones in you mm-hmm. just burn out totally totally so i i i'm still really struggling with it like i've even got i've got so many things to write that i've promised mm-hmm Because I just didn't know how to say no. Um, And it's it's also out of, like, because I'm not paid per article, like, I don't know how to put it. I should, I think I should be saying, no, like, this isn't in my capacity, this isn't in my work Mm. contract. And we don't have the budget to pay a freelancer to write it. Mm -hmm. So I just have to say no. And I have said, I have sent a few emails saying like, our resources are very low at the moment. I'm the only editorial person Mm -hmm. on the team. People have been so understanding, to be fair. Mm. It's not like I've had horrible replies. I've had one quite horrible reply to a no, where I'd I'd basically said I was going to an opera that I then couldn't go to and said to the publicist, like, I'm really sorry, can I go later in the month? And the publicist was like, you've really messed us around here. And I was like, that was awful. But that's the only time that's ever happened. Yeah.
0: And considering you're like, the fear around it is that people are going to be like that every time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's, I don't really know. I'm I still feel like such a baby of saying no. Like, Do you think also because you get like a monthly salary,
0: you feel obliged to do the same amount of work every month? So even Mm -hmm. if you're having a tougher month, like personally... Hmm. You still feel like you have to live up to last month's
1: expectations. So that's like on and off, actually, because... I don't know what it is. I think I've become a lot more relaxed about... like mm. oh This is, you know, I'm doing this in work hours. Like, that's probably not allowed. But some... I'm quite an intuitive worker. Like, yeah. I... And sometimes... I've, I've, I think I've got to a point where that is a good thing, where sometimes I will have a lot of motivation late at night and I just piggyback on that motivation mm. because I have to. And then I'll just lie in longer in the morning or go for coffee with someone and not mm. stress about it. And then some days I'll put aside a whole day just to meet people and have coffee. And... Yeah. So... I definitely find that all... harder living with a partner
0: to feel not so guilty about like working late into the evenings or like putting stuff off like sometimes i'll be like i'm just gonna do some editing this evening and i'd be like oh like i thought we were gonna watch a film
1: or something yeah
0: i'd not thought about that and there's like more personal obligations in the home
1: that's so true and i bet it's the same when you have kids and stuff as well yeah having cats is completely different (laughs) (laughs) um having jobby is just a full-time
0: job but also like i would feel bad to like stay up and work in bed with the light on if if somebody else is there and and those kind of things you're really turning me off a relationship
1: it's wonderful thank you my plan i can have you all to (laughs) myself (laughs) so true though because like like i know a lot of people really love spending the evening with their partner but i think yeah i need the evening on my own like (laughs) it's an absolute
0: sacred time like I think if I wasn't in a relationship now, I would do more of that, even though I haven't been that person before.
1: Hmm. But then there's also the, like, issue of work and leisure. Yeah. Merging. And I'm always trying to kind of ask myself about that. But I just don't think... I think I'm always going to be the kind of person who does have a bit of that. Mm. Who does have a bit of the old mergey-mergey. Because I love talking to people, I love meeting people. Like that doesn't mm. feel like work.
0: But some do you days plan, do, some days don't. Do you plan your downtime? Um no. Is that a problem? <laughs> is this a therapy session? Is this
1: Is this paid work? In therapy with Rebecca Toll. Um so at the weekend Oh yeah, I guess you have the weekend. You forget about the old weekend, don't you? So at the weekend, I'm very good at being like... No. No. And even sometimes I'll feel tempted to do stuff and I'll just say no. Because I know the feeling of the leakage yeah, <laughs> from hot, one day to the next. A lovely leak. <laughs> the work leakage from one day to the next. And then you get to Monday and you're like, I have not had a day off Yeah, kind of feeling. But then, you know, there are days like after the magazine goes to press where... It'll be in the You'll middle of the week. all day. And I'll just be like, do you know what? I'm going to take today off and it's like, I can just do that. Mm. And that is a lovely freedom of being my own boss, kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, I'm still really shit at saying no. I don't know if we even found any real... We're not here to find solutions. No, that's fine. We're just here to complain about stuff. We're just here to complain. Like, the good therapists we are. Woo. Oh so, yeah! Have you? When are you starting your your therapy course? September. Oh my gosh! Do you get to be on a placement now? Do you get to therapize anyone? I will be on a placement at some point. I just need to this year. I think so. Yeah. <gasps> That's so cool. Let out into the wild.
0: It's a bit like um when you pass your driving test and you're like, oh everyone stay off the roads and it's like it's everyone stay out of therapy. <laughs> you don't know where I'm gonna pop up. <laughs> It's <laughs> Rebecca again. Yeah. So next up, we have a bit of. Uh... Are we not winning of the weekend? Oh shit! Yes.
1: Sorry. Off you. Go. So this week, I've got a win right away. It's an absolute lie. I do not. Oh, I guess I started the bass guitar this week. That is cool. Um. Why? Tell us more about that. Uh 'cause because I wanted to have like a re- new relationship with an instrument. I've got really into like. Some 80s bangers recently and all of them have a really stinking hot bass line. So I was just like, I would love to be that bitch who can play the bass line of things. And it's amplified and I look a bit more bisexual than I do when I play the cello. <laughs> do you feel like you're like pushing yourself to be like improve all the time on it? Um, no. I am really quite bad, but I think it's just hilarious nice. i find it very funny and i find it very fun and i just want to play it all the time
0: so where can we catch your next
1: live performances my next gig well this is it you're going to have to come the to my two. bedroom oh hot <laughs> i told you it was hot so yeah that that felt like a big win cuz it was like this might sound like i'm being cocky bitch but i don't care um there's a sense in which like so much of what i've learned on the cello in terms of like reading the bass clef and like knowing what rhythms are like I'm a little, I do feel a little bit smug being like, look how many steps I can skip basically. Yeah,
0: <laughs> That's, Yeah, that was what it was like with clarinet for me. So good. You're Even like, though grade I one? Yeah. Grade eight, babe. Like, yeah, let's um, go there. You know? Concerto so. with an orchestra coming up. <laughs> oh my god. Your win of the week, please. My win of the week is that I started with a new therapist. Oh yeah! Who is great. And it's my first... Online therapy. Oh right, I had a few online sessions with one of my last therapists just as we were going into the pandemic, but this is online from from the beginning because it's um it's like this low cost therapy service through a place in Hackney, um so it's like a hundred pounds a month, so twenty five a session, which That's is amazing. So good. Um, do you have to live in
1: Hackney? No,
0: really. So it's um yeah, obviously still like a good chunk of money, but it's definitely like four times better than it could have been
1: well i mean one session could be 100 quid well,
0: exactly that's that's what i was trying to say but i couldn't figure out how to translate maths to english yeah um, it's always been difficult it's always for both hard. Of us. <laughs> um so that was good and i was very honest like our first session i um did you cry no but i asked her <laughs> if she sorry. was okay like four times <laughs> Oh my god! I like I have a big thing that I want to know that my therapist is like okay and you know like very like people pleasing. Is my stuff too too much for you? Yeah, like how you know because I think she might be in training as well. Oh, so I definitely projected onto her like being a a student and like yeah, and also I didn't. Does she know know you're be in supervision sort of thing for your own? Yeah, so I was very open about like being a student from the beginning because I didn't want her to. I didn't want her to feel like I'm like trying to catch her out or like yeah. a bit like a magician, like I know how this works. That kind of like yeah. vibe. Um, so we were very transparent. It was actually amazing That's how much so she good. like self disclosed as well about ah. how she was feeling. Oh,
1: I so love it, that. That was quite
0: interesting, and I think this is going to be a good, That's a good so therapeutic new. relationship.
1: Good. That's such a blessing. Yeah. Oh.
0: Especially after the last eating oh, disorder God. therapist. Anyway,
1: yes, yeah, so it's a pretty good win of the week. That's and also really
0: that I started it before I needed to because I would only need to be in therapy from September, from when my course starts. But I felt like I'd want to get it started over the summer. That was very wise of you. Even though it'd be more money, obviously. Yeah. But I wanted to an investment. Yeah, make sure that I had a therapist that I was clicking with before the course. Yeah. Cuz it might take a few different people yeah. before you settle. You never flip a no, do you? Never flip a no. So there are wins of the week. Um, so next up, we have a little bit of a chat that I had with Paul Denigree, who is the... Well, he's all sorts of things. He's a musician, he's a composer, an arranger, educator. But who is he to you? He was my old head of brass at Wells Cathedral School.
1: Oh um,
0: And we... He's been very supportive of you. So supportive and also really honest about his own journey mm. and um whilst i was going through my stuff he was also going through quite a lot of stuff so it's a it's an amazing chat like i can't wait for you to hear it hattie mm. and also our listeners so it'll only be a bit of it and if you want to catch the rest of it head over to our main feed uh for ever the second part drops can't remember when that'll be or it might already be out will be some time it'll be some time we'll let you know look out
1: for uh, mr paul Denigree.
0: and yeah thanks so much Thank for you. now and see you again next month bye guys Bye.